The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Claudia Orozco-Gomez. And my co-host, the crazy person who let me take the wheel today, is Jay Hersko. Our guest today is Mike Burrows, the author of Agenda Shift, Outcome-Oriented Change and Continuous Transformation, among many other classics. Hello, Mike. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> How are you, Jay? I am, I am here. Mike, we are glad to have you yet again, yet again. You're, you're going to give Johanna Rothman a run for her money as, as for <laughs> most frequent podcast appearances. So, so Mike, let's, let, I'll, I'll start us off, Claudia. So, I mean, it's been a big year, right? It's been a big year for Agenda Shift. We got, we got uh, the first conference. You have the you know, self-paced learning modules, uh, second volume of the book, which we're going to really dive into. Um, was it being locked in the house that led to all this inertia? Or where, where did all, how did all this just come together all at the same time? It's, um, I think last year, it did feel a bit like that. So I did the audio book of right to left last year, you know, and, and that was partly, you know, being being locked down and everything. Um, this year, um, after publishing the second edition of the Agenda Shift book, it just felt like 2021 was a year not to squander. Um, you know, really make the most of, most of it. And uh, the conference uh, was, it wasn't, the conference wasn't even my idea, actually. I, mean, I thought a conference would be a wonderful thing to do, you know, one day when we're grown up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, other people were actually um, really keen that we did it and did most of the work towards it as well. I mean, I, and I was just, uh, I was just so, so grateful that, that, that it happened that way. Um, the um, Academy is a joint venture with my friend, uh, Shell Torrey Guttormsson. It's based, based in Norway. Right, and you've got your self-paced learning, which I'm a part of. Yes, 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 that's right. Um, and we've got, um, we've got a, like a three-level curriculum in mind. We haven't published it yet, but the first self-paced module is out. I'm busy recording the, the second and I've uh, got big plans for the third one. Um, all, of which, all of which touching on things at different parts of the, uh, the book uh, cover. Um, and you know, it still feels like things are moving forward, which is, which is really cool. You know, we'll, we'll get to things that, that weren't necessarily documented in the book. Uh, developing new tools that you know, even now um, some of the partners are, are testing out. Um, so we just we just keep on moving forward, and that's that's what I love about it. I said said said, said before, you know, the, the you know the day we say it's done, you know, it's possibly the day it dies. You know, I love that process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were you were talking about tools, and one of the tools that comes out in Agenda Shift, your first one, and my, so this is the one that you've said you start every uh, every workshop with. So yep. celebration five W's. Yeah. So just thinking we could give our audience a taste of this celebration. How how do you feel about that? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. So that's the who, what, when, where, and why of the celebration we're going to have. Um, so we just need to basically uh, work out. I mean, I usually I rec recommend that people start with iterating a bit between the time style and, and what it's about. So the when and the what. And after that, everything is pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, so if you've got some ideas about sort of time scale and a rough idea of the what, then we can uh, think let's, about who, uh, so who let's do this. Yeah. For our listening audience, so if you can imagine, this, this will be available in the show notes. So it's also on the Agenda Shift website, Celebration 5Ws. Um, if you can imagine four quadrants, You've got who, what, where, when, and in the middle, you've got a circle with why. So Mike was saying we need to start, well, he, his tip is to start with the when. So let's think about this podcast. Let's celebrate this podcast. When are we celebrating? Uh, so are we celebrating a few days from now when it's released, or we're we looking back in a few months' time on how, you know, you know perhaps how the string of podcasts has worked, you know, uh, how, how would you like to do this? Love it. I love it. Yep. We're celebrating when this is out in the wild and others are listening. 
Okay, that's good. So that that would be the that would be should we say you know a week or two from now, and the, and that's the what covered as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so who, what, where, when, and why? Um, we'll leave the when for a bit. So uh, who, what, when? I guess it's it's much easier with so the term for me to come to. Who's next? So who's yeah? Who's celebrating? So who are we going to invite to join us? So who else has contributed to this experience? Um, who you know do we think? we should invite because you know they'll they'll enjoy celebrating with us and, and be part of taking this forward perhaps i think the um, who is who is mike it would be all of our listeners right all yeah. the agenda shift fans all the agile uprising listeners everyone who yeah. engages with us in discord anybody who can who can find their way to the content yes yeah good um the where is often an opportunity to have a bit of fun um to give you some examples of that i i did this with a um it's actually an agency that's part of the Ministry of Defence in the UK. Um, it's responsible for uh, maritime mapping. And I thought, oh, it'd be really cool if we had our celebration on top of a survey ship. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Um, but they were having a shiny new office being built at the time, much better accommodation than where they were. And they were determined they were going to have it in the atrium of their new building, which is, which is, which is fine. It's their, their choice. You know, I'm a facilitator. It's not for me to say, you know, where, where they're going to do it. Um, but we've had some um, some quite fun suggestions about about the where. Um, of course, now since the pandemic, most things are happening online rather than in a in a location. Um, I don't know how big a venue we need to get all your listeners in. Um, you know, I, I used to say, um, you know, when I ran a global department um, at, at an investment bank, you know, we'd have had to have hired a you know a nightclub or something to uh, you know to get enough people in. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking based I'm upon the bar person. Yeah, I'm definitely more a, of a, a dive bar. Dive bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are uh, there. Let's put it this way: there are reputable musical establishments in Philadelphia that would be offended if you called them a dive bar, but they're really a dive bar. But yeah, that's probably yeah. about the size. Um, if you're thinking in terms of yeah. um, of concert attendance, about a fifteen hundred cap, a two thousand cap. That's about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we need a pretty pretty good venue for that. Um, we've come last to the why. It's, but some people think are surprised that I finished with the why rather than start it. You know, I always say um, start with why. Great title for a book. Terrible advice. Because um, <laughs> you, you kind of need to creep up on it. Um, and actually, very often it's really important to under, understand who we're doing this for. Um, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, kind of follows from those, those kinds of questions. Um, and just to jump straight to the why is actually quite difficult as, in terms of the thinking process. Now, in terms of leading with a why afterwards, well, that's, that, 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 that can be great advice, um, but actually coming up with that why statement, that purpose statement, um, that can be challenging and it's something worth getting right. It's something worth spending a, you know, a, you know, at least a few minutes on. Um, things like our strategy reviews really depend, for example, on doing a little bit of homework before we come up with you know, an, an ideal statement or a purpose statement for each each layer in our in our strategy review. So, um, you know, this is an idea that applies not just to the Celebration Five W tool, but uh, but in general. So, if we're celebrating our podcast, why are we celebrating? So, why is it important? We've got our when, what, who, where. Yeah. I guess it, it you get different answers from different participants, wouldn't you? I mean, for me, you know, it's a, it's it's a chance to get some exposure. I mean, it's it's a chance to share some ideas. Uh, perhaps people will be aware of the books or the tools or Agenda Shift or the Academy or whatever that they weren't previously. Uh, for you, you know, a chance. I I hope to uh, to produce another you know interesting, exciting episode. Um, and for your listeners, again, um, you know, hopefully they feel educated and entertained and whatever where on wherever on the spectrum they want to be on that you know hopefully we find the the sweet sweet spot for them yeah hopefully jay and i, I think we're far on the agenda shift spectrum right now insanity with everyone else yeah that's yeah. my why is um and, and truth be told i i talked to mike about doing this episode ages ago but we wanted to wait until the second version of the book came out and my why is I think there's there's a lot of value in exposure to not only the book, but the courses and the self-paced learning. There's a lot there. Um, and I'm going to lead off with a, a statement that was made by one of our um, Discord posters. So we have separate sub-channels, Mike, where if we're all reading the same book, we just spin up a channel so we yeah. can share insight. And there was one of our posters by the name of Don, and I'm going to butcher his last name. I think it's Don Idle. 
he made the remark. He was he was live blogging as he was reading through the book. Like, okay, I just finished chapter two. I like that. Chapter three, uh, okay, it did start off great, but I really like it. Something like that. And at one point, he makes a remark where he he actually said early on, there's a lot of theory here left on the table. You know, Mike doesn't really go into the theory. And then chapters later, he he actually not countermanded what he said, but he said, you know what? The theory is just enough, but not just because. And he made the remark that there's enough theory in the book that you can understand where Mike's thinking is coming from. And he gives you enough seeds that you can go follow it down whatever path it leads you. But it's not like it's not like some of the other books that we read in the Agile space where it's all about the navel gazing is like 700 pages and the actual uh, praxis is 200. Where, I, uh, Claudia, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think agenda shift is 90% praxis, which is what was so impressive. And then the rest is, yeah, well, here's why you want to do this. But if you really want to know, there's yes. a guy by the name of Deming you want to look up, right? Like you, you give enough without repeating ad nauseum. Yes. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think, um, Jay, you and I both wrote down in our notes for the show, experience before explanation. And it's like that first chunk, the first half of the book, or maybe even more than that, the first three chapters, really, it's all about experience. It's all about the exercises and the workshops, and it's guiding you through. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the first four chapters, the first two thirds of each chapter is really the uh, the exercises. Um, some people describe the whole book as a, as a workbook, and I'm, and I'm quite happy with that, that, that description. Um, but yeah, we certainly have done the due diligence on the theory behind it all. Um, and I think actually the second edition has, has sort, of, sort of raises the confidence level of, of the book, um, because, you know, we know what deep connections we've been able to make with the theory in, a, in quite a wide range of fields, you know, not just the obvious ones like Lean and Agile. Uh, but in uh, dialogic organization development, in complexity, um, in uh, viable system model, you know, management cybernetics, all these, all these different fields. And um, we've created something that allows these things to, to connect in a really nice way with them. Oh, I should, should mention clean language as well, you know. We, you know uh, right. You know, so so I, I like being like the gateway drug to things, you know. It's, <laughs> it's not my job to um, be a textbook for each of those things, and that would just be, a, a, you know, Mina writing a thousand-page book. Um, but I do want to make it very clear what my sources are and inspire other people to follow up on whichever of those sources seem, seem interesting to them. So, yeah, agenda shift is a gateway drug to drug to clean language is definitely true that was true from the first first edition and it's been true of the of the community and the workshops um where i'd love to get to by the end of this year is agenda shift as a as a gateway drug to the deliberately adaptive organization and viable system model and and, and these kinds of things and, and getting people to think a bit more deeply about what organizations mean how they work how things scale and and so on um you know the idea of just standing up agile process you know that's fraught with difficulty it's a bit hit and miss whether it works and it has a tendency to amplify you know agile's dysfunctions more than it more than it amplifies the good stuff which doesn't not to say that it can't work but if you don't understand the difficulties you're more likely to fall mm -hmm. into those traps and uh, we're building the tools to understand how that happens and to help diagnose when it is happening and to help you uh, find ways forward. I mean, Agenda Shift is all about really bringing to the surface obstacles and turning them into outcomes and putting agreements on outcomes before the change, not afterwards. And that completely changes your whole attitude to change when you do it that way around. It is actually, it's a, such a simple idea. Uh, it's easy to miss that it's a game changer, but it, it really, really is. You know, um, we're not starting with a solution and selling it and overcoming resistance to change and all those sorts of things. Um, we're starting with the outcomes that we want to achieve, organizing them strategically, working out where we want to start. And then you can see how already that, that sort of breaks the solutions down and you can look for innovation from within your teams or look outside to other frameworks and models and so on. Um, I think that's a much healthier model for change, one that's much more sustainable, uh, one that works you know, in a very obvious way, hand in hand with, with Lean and Agile. Um, but no longer is completely dependent on them. Um, you know, it's it's becoming more and more, you know, you know, widely applicable in its use. Many many of the ideas, and we've we've used them in such a wide range of organisations now, inside and outside of technology. So, if if I can touch on that, I, I really liked the way that you approached 
the question of scaling. So in, in the book, it's this, this last chapter, up, to, up and down the deliberately adaptive organization. Um, I felt that, well, at least my way of reading it was, this is not about scaling, but about scale. I don't know if I, I can explain myself. Um, so we can think about the individual, but also the system. So not just the way that we work, the way that each person and these bigger groups of people work, but the actual system that encompasses this. So that's, I really like the yeah. way that you framed it. That's a really good description, actually. Um, so the way, we, the way we achieved that is by using a model that is known to be fractal, known to work at kind of every scale. It's the viable system model. So it's kind of the, the crowning achievement of the management cybernetics community. It goes back to the 70s and 80s. Like a lot of actually great things in the OD space and the system space go back, go back to that, that sort of time. Um, servant leadership as well, something else, something else that you know, kind of arose in that kind of time frame. Um, and um, it's, I found it, when people find the model actually quite intimidating, you know, it's a fractal model and you see pictures of it, you know, with lots of levels in it and it, and it gets very, very complicated. Um, but I found if I explained it first at team level and then explained how it scales up, that's actually pretty straightforward. And in looking at not just how the model works, but how the relationship between the different levels work, uh, you get to some of the, some of the issues with, with scaling. So for example, the issues with top down versus bottom up. Right. And can you remove that versus and make that a continuous process of negotiation and adaptation? You know, then things start to get you know, interesting. Um, but also you can scale it down. And as you say, to the level of people. And in fact, the, you know, the, the, the human nervous system was actually the original inspiration for, for the model. It's, it's actually started out as an organic metaphor, not a mechanistic metaphor. Um, I really enjoyed looking at it, at it at the level of individuals interacting. Yeah, and not just for its the resonance with the Agile um, Manifesto, uh, but for another great inspiration, which is the the Everyone Culture, the book by um, um, Robert Keegan and Lisa Lasko Leahy, um, and thinking about you know how can our organisation actually help us develop as people and uh, and as and as teams, and there's a level between in, individuals and teams that's really interesting as well you know and self-organization seeing that as a something that emerges from our collaborations um and that fits nicely with some other recent work happening in the agile community things like dynamic reteaming you know heidi's book mm -hmm. uh, thinking about team topologies as well um so some quite different sources um yeah, there's that, a whole you know, this, this model just helps you bring these things together there's um, there's a real richness to it. Um, there, there was one line that really stuck out, stuck out to me. Um, intent must be translated to make it meaningful to each team. Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing. So the risk of the parts not adding up to the whole, and then you—that's where you go into the different ways of scaling your three different approaches that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Well, there are. Um, the thing about the viable system model is it describes it, it, it it's actually in a way the simplest possible model you could have um which sounds to contradict what i said about it complica being complicated but actually um it's six boxes and some lines between them um and then understanding that it relates you know that model describes multiple levels um when i say about as simple as it can be you know you've got you know three of those systems in are about you know turning intent into into action and, and managing that, making sure that action is coordinated, uh, making sure that you know we don't overwhelm the system or underwhelm the system, you know, in terms of how we coordinate, um, uh, you know, across the people doing the work. Um, you need a system for making sure the you know the integrity is there, that you can trust the signals that you're receiving, that what you think is happening is what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, and that has you know that has biological analogs and inspiration. And then you need two levels of you know, adapt, adaptive strategy above that. You need to be making sure that it's actually working, and as you and that's part and that part of that is building a model of yourself or your organisation and the outside world. And above that, there's like the big decisions. Those big decisions that actually are about who you are, what your mission is, your purpose, all those all those kinds of things. Um, very easy to relate agile practice to that sort of two level thing. You know, you need to regular reflection on how things are going and regular planning on where we want to go, 
but you need to remember to step back properly from those from time to time with you know things like retrospectives but even stepping even further back than that you know things like you know, open spaces and strategy reviews and and all these kind of things so you know they're, they're pretty essential as well we get to is a model for or real or model for autonomy um you know instead of strategy being something that happens to you as is the case for too many agile teams mm -hmm. um it's something that's actually the focal point of what it is we do as a team and it's something that's negotiated with the teams around us and the organization around us and so on um, if you if you're into OKR, very very sort of familiar sort of uh, sorts of ideas, um, but we can put OKR into you know a framework that's been around even longer than OKR has. Yeah, right. We have a, we have a, an interview coming out soon with um, Alan Kelly who wrote you know yep. succeeding yeah. in agile with OKRs. Yes. Alan was Alan was great. He was a great guest. He yes. was really funny. I mean, yeah. so we could have went another ninety minutes easy. Yeah, so, well, um, I, I wrote the foreword to that, yeah. so I endorsed that book as well. So that's uh, I'm really glad you got Alan on. And I actually think, Mike, I think you do come up in the intro where we talk about how I came across the book from you saying you wrote the intro, right. and I shared it with another um, uprising guy where I said, "Hey, you were just talking about OKRs, so you weren't sure how they really worked. I just came across this book. Let me know if it's any good." And he read it. And he came back. He's like, "Jam, fifty pages is you got to buy yeah. this." I'm like, "Oh, yeah. Mike yeah. Burrows, like another one." But yeah, yeah it's a yeah. good read. I don't want to repeat what's going to be an interview, but I actually really admire how strong a stance he takes for bottom-up. Now, I'd actually mm -hmm. like to go away from bottom-up and top-down, uh, as I've already described. Um, but given the dark side of OKR, you know, management by objectives, I think it's really important yeah. to understand how bottom-up can work. And in the context of Agile teams, it can work really well. I fully related to how, Agile, how Alan described it and, yeah, you know, wholeheartedly endorsed the book. Yeah, there was there was a line that I took away as well. It's it's a funny kind of autonomy when strategy is something that happens to you. And yes. I think you repeated it a few times in the book. So I thought, okay, <laughs> at least twice. Yes. Back again. Yes. I've heard it. I, I, I want to read it again. And it, it came back. Yes. So how yeah. how did that come about? Is it your observations? Is it your interactions? Yeah, it's one of my observations. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I'm, I mean, you probably know, I'm a, I'm a pretty positive guy. You know, I, I certainly don't like criticizing things when I don't have a constructive answer to them. In my more negative moments, I think it would be fun to produce a blog post of agile ironies, and I can think of a long list. <laughs> um, well, we'll write it down. It's one of our yeah, options. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, the whole, I mean, the, the one that's most often noticed is like the um, you know, individual and interactions over processes and tools, you know, and we so often see that see that backwards um but you know to see the amount that uh, agile rightly promotes um promotes autonomy and then you see so many teams that have very little say in um the work that they do and how they work it's actually really depressing and um you know i i use a deliberately you know, deliberately humorous and provocative phrase to, um, you know, just draw people's attention to that. It's one I, um, and part, part of the process is when you realize you're onto something like that and um, is to practice using it. <laughs> so, you know, I'll tweet it, I'll put it in LinkedIn and see what kind of response I get. Oh, my, def my definition of done is probably my most famous example of that. You know, someone's need was met. You know, it now has its own URL of genesis.com slash done. And it is, you know, it's, it's, it's deliberately provocative, slight bit of humor, edge of humor to it. 99% um, of people who read it get it straight away, get the point that I make. It, it offends maybe the 1% of people that are offended by the idea that, uh, you know, I'm subverting their definition of done. Um, but, you know, there's some important points to be made. There is so much dysfunction out there. Uh, in a way, we shouldn't be surprised that that's the case. You know, I suppose m maybe in a way, you know, mediocre is 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 what's is maybe the media. Me you know, the median agile implementation is probably likely to be <laughs> mediocre in some way. Um, but every agile team should, I mean, pretty much by definition, be striving towards being better than that. And there are some very obvious and glaring ways, some traps that agile keeps falling into. Um, people who should know better explaining agile in ways that actually leads people into those traps rather than out of it. 
And that's why I wrote right to left. I mean, I was so sick of Scrum being described as a backlog-driven process. I thought, well, let's, and it kind of kind of has, has, as Alan has as well, you know, think about how we can look at it in a, in a very different way, not as being driven by the backlog, but the backlog is at best an expression of, um, well, the sprint backlog is an expression of just what we, our best way of achieving our current goal. And any backlog after that is just, well, maybe some ideas we want to keep up our sleeve, but to not to see it as something that we want to plough through. Um, teams need to understand how that can work before they can start shift away from being, you know, heads down, backlog driven, mediocre process, mediocre results, you know. Um, yeah, so that's, there's, there's a few examples like that. There's a few red button issues where I think it's actually right to keep pointing out that there is this real problem in Agile, mm. real tendency in Agile that we need to remind people to avoid, and a few pithy, memorable statements to describe them, you know, is hopefully a way of you know, leading more people away from them. Well, this, this statement uh, kind of begs the question of invitation, and I know you bring this up in every chapter, who's invited, who's invited, yes. Um, yes. so it's all very participative yes so so my question to you is who's inviting yes well, that's a good question i mean as you could look at, at at my books and you know maybe daniel mesick's at the same time I mean, he, he uh, talks about inviting leadership he puts a lot of focus on the invitation um i i'm approaching the question of invitation from a slightly different angle so looking at at um looking at every feedback loop of your organization every meeting that you have as an opportunity for leadership and then thinking about how you invite people into those opportunities opportunities for, for leadership and um, another good model is the you know host leadership uh, mark mckergau's um, model um, and you know the host of I mean, if, if you're a, do a lot of facilitation work, as, as I do, you know, the host of the meeting has, a, has, has, you know, their responsibilities are rather different to the responsibilities of someone who has ownership for delivering something. Oh, we're not just timekeeping. Not just, not just timekeeping, yes. <laughs> you know, and seeing yourself as the host for some great conversations, one in which you are deliberately not prescribing the outcomes. And, you know, Gender Shift provides you with lots of ways for ensuring that that, that happens. Um, and um, yeah, there, there is a, there's an interesting bit that happens before the workshop happens, you know, get, getting the right people there. Uh, you know, it would be great if it was everybody. It can't always be everybody, but you do need a representative group. Uh, I recommend at least three levels of organization represented. Uh, you want representatives of everyone, anyone who's likely to be impacted by change. And uh, as you go through the process, you realize that you know, a really crucial thing isn't just how you, in the end, describe your outcomes, but actually identifying obstacles that most people will relate to and writing them in a way that people don't feel judged by them. And those obstacles aren't just a, you know, um, solutions dressed up as obstacles, you know, lack of my favorite solution and that kind of thing. So there's a few sort of things that you do differently when you have the right people in the room and very often the solution when we you know whenever we you know whenever we hear of these conversations not going as well as they might have done and i ask who was invited the conclusion is often that not enough people were were invited and with more diversity in the room more layers represented represented then the conversation is deeper because you've got more people closer to the problem and people with authority working working together um, and also more respectful um, because you know you're going to be sharing sharing with with people who represent perhaps some of the people that otherwise you might have been judgmental about um, so yeah invite as many people as you can get the diversity there get the levels of the organization um, represented get the customer represented as well if you can and I've been had a few examples of that I've had um, in terms of seniority I've had a new starter sat next to someone from the C-suite and I think it's just fantastic wow and that's, that's, that's a great experience that's happened to me twice um I had a similar experience when I was at, at UBS uh, I was an, an associate director about to be promoted to a director um and I went on a week of management training and someone very senior from the other side of the Atlantic, you know, MD, 
on the business side, I was in IT. So my one of my senior sponsors, effectively, uh, I spent the week sat next to. I mean, it was almost a coincidence. He was there as much for the golf as he was for the training, I think. Um, <laughs> but it was just great to have that that opportunity to to learn from him and get to know get to know him a bit better and uh, you know understand the needs of the business a bit better that way. I mean, that that wasn't the focus of the week, but it kind of rubs off, you know. And it's always good to when those opportunities are created. So I wanted to, you know, you're talking about <clears throat> leadership and you're talking about having the right conversation. One of the things that resonated for both Claudia and I, um, and we even talked about it when we when we did the debrief of the class we took, is, you know, you joke about agenda ship being the gateway drug to clean language. You, you call out quite frequently um, the traps that we can fall into when we yeah. use words to describe things and the, the emphasis of, you know, avoid jargon, tribal shorthand. Yes. Um, scarcity language. These are things that I, I, I mean, almost are quoting. I talked about almost your lizard brain kind of picks up on. I probably shouldn't use this, but yeah. when, when, when someone puts it out and says, you can't use the term, you know, wisdom, right. Or, 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 or give me a whizzy wig editor. Like how often yes. in it we use these terms that we just yes. assume that everybody knows them. And that, that leads to a suboptimal solution. Yes. Yes. Um, there's, there's quite a lot going on there. I mean, we knew with clean language very early on. I mean, to understand clean language, you've got to understand that it's about asking questions that don't just convey the assumptions of the questioner. You know, um, and if you want to ask better questions with more surprising and interesting answers and help your client in that conversation build a model of something in their, in their heads, either explore a model that exists or help them build a model that, that perhaps didn't exist before. Um, the less you impose your language and your assumptions on that model, the better. Uh, and clean language is really great for that. And, and doing the uh, 15 minute photo exercise, which is the, the game that we built from it, um, it just heightens your awareness. You know, start when you, you catch yourself doing it, you catch yourself imposing your assumptions on a conversation in a way that was actually unhelpful. You've just closed off a whole interesting avenue. You've closed off a range of potential solutions, for example, or potential problems for, for, for that matter. Um, so we're training people to ask better questions, whether it's the canonical clean language questions or just, you know, be more careful with, uh, with how they question. The, the, the kind of stuff you talked about, you know, jargon, judgmental language, those kinds of things, um, you know, that's about, that's about the obstacles. Um, you know, going back nearly 2,000 years ago now, uh, you know, Mar Marcus Aurelius said, you know, um, the obstacle, well, what stands in the way becomes the way. You know, and it's really important to choose the right obstacles. Um, so I'll go a bit further than that. How you frame those obstacles is really important as well. You want, in the end, obstacles, first of all, that lead to some great conversations. And the reason, I, you know, or the way we identified these problem areas was actually in debugging the workshop. And I was very fortunate. I did a workshop in Berlin. Um, I think it was, I think it was 2019. It was, you know, before the, before the pandemic. Um, and for one group, the 15 minute photo exercise didn't go as well as it normally does. And I was really curious to know why. And actually, so were the people at the workshop. And it, it was a workshop of practitioners. It wasn't a client workshop. It was a deep dive workshop. People were there to learn. I was there to learn. I was learned a lot in a deep dive workshop. Um, and I, it, was a, it was a two day workshop. I was really quite bothered by it. And I had a sort of a light bulb moment overnight. And we spent some of the, the, the second morning actually working out what had gone what had gone wrong or testing my assumptions as, as to what had gone wrong. And we looked back again at their, their assumptions. They were way too high level. They were way too, you know, they were trying to sell a theory. And it's a theory that other people wouldn't necessarily have bought. Right, so they were even, already- Even including the word agile in an obstacle is a problem. Mm -hmm. No, if the, if you're if the people uh, in your organisation don't know what you mean, don't necessarily buy into the theory, then even using a, a word that to you might seem harmless, agile, can can be a problem. And actually, what you're not doing is identifying the real issues that you're trying to overcome. You know, describing lack of agile or lack of agile mindset or something like that as as your obstacle doesn't help you one bit. In fact, it hurts you, not helps you. 
And, and uh, it's so hard to get that right, isn't it? Because yes, yes. We, we went through these exercises, or I, I'm actually going through them in the leading with outcomes. We've got that 15-minute photo from obstacles to outcomes. So yep. in the language of agenda shift, um, it is really hard to frame that correctly. The lack of, it's, it's just an easy go-to yes. lack of agility, lack, yes. of, yeah. lack of capacity, lack of... Yes there are everyday problems yes. so how do you guide people towards reframing those well like you say it's 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 easy to say lack of this lack of that i mean i um, i knew this even how many years ago is it now um seven years ago when i published a kanban community side i talked about lazy language. i talked about lack of being a lazy language um so i've, I've always seen that as a a, a thinking trap uh, and this is before I knew clean language or or anything else, anything else like that. Um, so you're trying to get to what is the real problem uh, with lack of language in particular. Usually you're trying to sell a, sell a solution. Sometimes, and this is these are the actually more difficult but interesting examples. And what you've actually identified is just one half of an imbalance. So when people talk about lack of money, lack of time, lack of people, lack right, of this, the solution lack of is that, we get more budget, yeah. we throw people so the at trick the problem, is, well, we solve the, it. Yeah. So what's the imbalance going on here? So, um, or lack of quality. I mean, we actually struck. We actually, we, you're right. Sometimes this is hard. Um, I, I remember having a quite difficult conversation about how to reframe lack of quality, and then we discussed it in one of our weekly zooms, and Andreas Fitler came up with something. Oh, it's an imbalance. You know, it's an imbalance between what you're producing or what you're capable of producing and people's expectations, uh, whether that's your expectations or, um, or your customer expectations. And um, you're beginning to get some things that you can manage. And you can look at, well, what are we pushing too hard that means that poor quality is the result? You know, um, so you start to go down, go down the level of detail, start to find some, you know, potentially some other obstacles um, that you can tackle more directly. And in the end, you want to find some obstacles that if you were to solve those, it might not solve the whole problem, but it's predictive of fast progress towards the, uh, you know, towards you know, something, something good. Act on lead measures is how the, uh, the um, Four DX, four disciplines of execution. Call that. You know, I think um, you know a lot of you know you know a number of you know, you know in the lean and agile community are getting wise to the idea of you know finding lead measures, you know ways that things that predict where it is we want to get to, not get the whole way, but at least some of the way. Fifteen percent solutions from liberating structures as well. You know, you don't have to find hundred percent solutions for everything. Right. And and so if, you always, if you always needed a hundred percent solution, then we could go back to we could go back to waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> we, can also, we can also feel your ties to Kanban, you know, from from obstacles to outcomes to options. So yes. options are the way that we move those things forwards. These are yes. these experiments, the way that you frame or guide a way towards experimentation. Yes. 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 Um, yeah, that's that's chapter four. The uh, it's still called the elaboration chapter, um, which is what it was called in the first edition. But perhaps uh, so close to renaming it to ideation and experimentation. Perhaps I should have done. I just like the one word titles that all the other chapters were, so I didn't. Um, but we've put a bit more work into that ideation process now. Um, there's a bit, you know, you can see a little bit of design thinking in there. Um, you can see what I just said about using indicators of success, measures for success, actually as fuel for the, uh, the creativity process. Um, things like liberating, 50, liberating structures, 15% uh, solutions as well, another good idea from there. You don't have to find the big solutions, in fact, having lots of small solutions and having conversations about them, juxtaposing things, you know, seeing what happens when you mash ideas up and, and so on. This is all good ways of getting, you know, rapidly generating lots of good quality ideas. Well, some of them might be poor quality ideas, but you'll quickly get to some good ones. <laughs> so we're, com we're coming up on time here. I, Jay, I just want to give you a chance to ask um, another question. Um, I think the the interesting part for me, so again, I've, I've taken a bunch of your classes, Mike, you know, Claudia's taken them with me. Um, you put a lot of um, emphasis on leadership, 
right? Yeah. And there is a lot of opportunity there. We talked about all the levels, getting the right people in the room, whatever. Um, how do we, how do we, as I guess as practitioners, right? Um, how do we identify? Uh, how do we identify when we're getting the wrong type of leadership, and how do you, how do you gently correct it? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's actually something the viable system model does. Um, it's uh, in terms of spotting some of the dysfunctions of leadership. I mean, the, the dysfunctions of command and control have been known for a long time. It's not a new idea. Agile didn't invent the idea that command and control is problematic. You know, we've known this for a long, long time. And um, if you've, you know, if you've looked at things like, you know, commander's intent and things like that, you'll see one way of moving away from that, you know, the idea is clearly stating intent. And you can actually describe strategy that way, you know, um, you know, one object, you know, goals, objectives, uh, and, and, and so on. Um, and being really clear about those is one really important job of leadership. But it's not enough on its own. Um, you do have to pay attention to what is actually happening, you know, even though you to, to the the extent you can not prescribe that um and that's all part of the trust building process um you know between levels in the organization there needs to be trust that what they think is happening is what's happening and that works both ways um looking up you want to be confident that what you think is the strategy really is the strategy where we're going is right you know where, where we want to be going um things like retrospectives you know digging deep into you know aspects that, that may be of concern, you know, may just be areas where we've got, you know, a positive opportunity for development. So this trust building aspect is important. And there's this calibration aspect as well, um, making sure we've got the right amount of focus. And that's something that's actually more dynamic than you might think. You know, there are times when you need to be utterly focused on something, either because the opportunity is just huge and you can't afford to waste the opportunity, or because you're under threat and you've got to be very mm. careful not to be distracted if you actually need to be you know, dealing with a crisis. Other times where we want lots of innovation and we relax the constraints and let you know, a thousand flowers bl bloom, there's time to let our hair down, have a party, it's Christmas, you know, whatever. So, you know, that, that, that and, and you know, things like changes in policies that fit in, fit in over there over as well. This is just sort of gently tweaking the dials. It's not directing people, telling them what to do. It's not micromanaging them, um, but it's making sure that the system is running um, in the way that it needs to in its current context. All of that, I, you could also, in terms of a model for what's good in leadership, so all these things in viable system model, they really do help you highlight these dysfunctions, but for a good model, I do love servant leadership still. You know, the Greenleaf book I've read multiple times, I will read it again. Um, you know, another great thing from the 70s, as I said. Um, <laughs> but I describe it in three bullet points. You know, you're connecting people to purpose, you're, you know, you're, you're listening to obstacles and removing the obstacles that you should remove and you shouldn't remove every obstacle and that's that's disempowering um and you're also you're nurturing the next generation of leaders who are going to do the same thing you know it's actually I love it. it's a sustainable I process what we're trying you know? to do here as well too yes, yes. So yeah. if we're tying this back to our celebration yeah so there's a question and there's um, maybe a phrase that comes up at the end of the book. Where do I start? So yes. we've, got, we've got our listeners thinking about agenda shift, thinking about these exercises, about how you tie it into the system and how you can think about scale with agenda shift. Yes. Yes. Where do I start? You can actually start in multiple places. And uh, I was very careful in the second edition to draw that out because in the people read the first edition, you know, a book in five chapters and, it, and you know, in a, in, a, in a very logical sequence. And although that was never the intention, you know, some people thought, oh, it's a five-step model. And I was just horrified when I realized that that's how people were understanding it. Um, so there are a number of places to start. So you can start right at the, you know, the last couple of chapters and think about organization and dysfunction and then start to think about how you would turn that around. Um, I know people that have started with uh, things like uh, change ban. So how do we organize our experiments? Uh, how do we get the right number of experiments going at the same sort of time? And then working upstream from there to things like how do we frame them? 
hypotheses, A3, and those kinds of things. Um, we've seen the first two chapters. So we've got the high-level one, discovery, and the more detailed one, exploration. So high-level one, that's things like Celebration 5W, which we talked about, uh, our, you know, True North exercises, things like that. In exploration, we've got things like the assessment tools, and we've got a new one, uh, new one coming this year, um, and the strategy review. So digging down, really making sure that we are identifying and prioritizing the right issues. Now, it turns out that you can do those in either order. Now, for me, the logical way to present it is, is high level first, dig down into the detail. But some people find actually it's so much easier to start with the assessment, get a sense of how things are. And then we can, as I said with strategy, step back to things that are more about purpose and values and identity and, and, and things like that. And there is actually a very strong case to be made to case to be made for doing it in uh, in either in in that, in that wrong order, you know. Uh, in, it turns out to be very very good order. Um, so I kind of at the end of the book, I, I I kind of invite people to think about where they would like to start, where there's the opportunities to start, recognizing that different people have different authority as well. Um, but wherever you work in the organization, you should have the opportunity to try at least something. Um, I encourage people to think organizationally. I do recognize that a lot of people, even in coaching roles, are kind of find themselves stuck in their teams. There's a bit of a glass ceiling that agile coaches sometimes mm -hmm. find it very hard to break through. I'm fortunate I'm usually brought in a bit higher level on that. You know, come in via the strategy door, as some, someone once said. <laughs> Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so if I'm, I'm actually, I have every sympathy with those that find themselves stuck at team level, identify organizational issues, and actually find it very difficult to uh, get people engaged on them. In a way, the book is written for them. Mm. Um, but I also recognize some of the, the challenges involved um, as well. Right. And that was a very dirty question on my part or unclean question, because I actually did want to um, stress um, one of or I shouldn't say stress because that's going to be in there. But one of the last lines in your book is don't stress about where to start. If the process will be continuous, you can have as many beginnings as you need. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way to end to end the book of agenda shift, it really does give the mindset. It really does give the feel for how you can go from obstacles to outcomes. So, I'm, Mike, one know, of your sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I'm really glad you picked out picked out that phrase. Um, it hopefully means I've you know succeeded in writing the uh, the wrong impression, perhaps given in in the first first edition. Um, and I'm glad that you, you know, there's there's a there's a mindset there. Um, you know, some people call it toolbox. I used to used to react negatively to the word toolbox, but I don't anymore. As long as it, you know, just say it's a toolbox with attitude. You know, as long as you realise that it's putting agreements on outcomes before solutions, I'm happy for you to use whichever tools work for you to start wherever you are happy to start. Um, that one thing is a game changer. You know, understand that, then you'll do well. Great. So we want, we want to give you a chance to share any upcoming events or any shout outs. Um, what what would you like to share, Mike, with our audience before we let them go? And, and how can they get in touch with you? Um, so um, I think my next workshop's possibly too soon in terms of uh, I don't know how long it's going to take you to get this out. But um, uh, 6th and 7th, I think it is of July, I've got my next um, online workshop that's too soon yeah um, but if you go to the events calendar you'll see uh, other he's got your calendar in his so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'll let you know uh, i've got some i think uh, for me obviously my, my a lot of my time is spent on on things that, that are currently under development um so outside in strategy with outcomes will be the next self-paced learning that'll be out in late summer hopefully um i'm quite pleased with how that's how that's going still still some work to do but that's going well um, and then the deliberately adaptive organization, I really want that to have legs. Uh, the succeeding, uh, transforming with outcomes that succeeding with outcomes, those are going to be the self-paced and interactive um, modules to go with that idea. And we are now just beginning to test a new assessment tool for the de deliberately adaptive organization. Yes. 
a really super gentle way of getting into the viable system model. It's not teachy at all. I mean, if you know if you know how the agenda shift assessment tools work, they try hard not to be teaching tools. They help people to get to real issues, and then you know the theory can come come afterwards. Um, but the structure is very important. The kind of questions that we ask are are important, and we're now because it's because it's an organisational tool. You know, we're actually looking for for clients, uh, organisations now that, that will be willing uh, to help us help us test it. So that's that's going to be some of that's happening now, just in private amongst partners. But um, we'll be making some announcements soon. You know about the uh, you know uh, the early availability of, of that tool. Right. So this is all exciting stuff, and I think Jay and I can both encourage our listeners to be curious about agenda shift. Um, there's so much going on there. It's um, I think one of Jay's current favorite words is praxis, but it, it really is. There's <laughs> yeah. the exercise behind it. So we want to thank you again, Mike Burroughs, the author of Agenda Shift, Outcome-Oriented Change and Continuous Transformation. Uh, we want to thank our listening audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a review, a rating, or leave comments on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcasting platform of choice. That's a tongue twister. Um, it helps <laughs> others find us. If this is your first time tuning in, I, I didn't scare you away completely, um, subscribe to our podcast. If you like to join the discussion and talk about crazy agile journey stories, uh, join our coalition uh, agileuprising.com. You can join us on the, the Discord server. And finally, uh, support from our listeners helps us cover hosting and productions costs. So you can see in the show notes how to become a patron. Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising podcast signing out. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.